2: the world especially the United States to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government.
1: The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It
0: is-
1: prejudices to be found only in the minds of men.
2: Welcome to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for tuning in this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world, from the United States to Australia, to Europe, to Mexico. Thank you for tuning in to the Secret Teachings, broadcasting not only around the world, but broadcasting on the Fringe FM. That's fringe.fm for the website. Or you can download the application for free on your mobile device. That's Fringe FM. Our website is www.thesecretteachings.info. You can go to our website to find all of our past broadcasts. Every episode that you can download and stream to take with you and listen when you have time to do so. Whether you missed a show or you'd like to re-listen to a show. The whole archive is on the website along with all of our montages, a huge montage archive, and my books, all at www.thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for one year to the archive, you get access to all of that, plus a physical copy of one of my books with free shipping in the United States, and we do also ship around the world. Some nights we kind of pick one of those books as a piece of promotional material to promote what we're going to be talking about on the show. And tonight, I think Occult Arcana is the best book, the biggest book. I also think it's my best book in general, but the best book to pick for tonight's broadcast because when I sat down to write Occult Arcana, as many of you know, a huge, monstrous book, I had a section that I really wanted to turn into its own book the section on the origin of holidays or holy days. There's also little sections inside of that larger section, that large chapter. That deals with uh, the history and the origin of things like the days of the week and the names of the months. I like to look at things like this because I really want to understand why it is that we practice certain traditions, why we have certain beliefs, why we have certain superstitions. Of course, the word superstition means, in its original form, things that are left over, things that remain. I want to know why those things remain and why we celebrate the things we celebrate, why we take little cut-out jack-o'-lanterns and hang them on our front door, or we cut open a jack-o'-lantern, we cut open a pumpkin or a gourd or something to that effect, and we put it on our porch and we light a candle in it. I want to know why we do those things. I've always wanted to know why we do those things. That's why I started doing radio over a decade ago. And uh, this month marks our anniversary of uh, the Secret Teachings or the original show before we even became professional. And we used to talk about the origin of things like holidays. In fact, that was one of the major things we discussed. We like to look at the things of, uh, about the origins of Christmas, the origins of Halloween, the origins of Easter, the origins of St. Patrick's Day, to see where things come from. And, you know, if it's not just for sheer entertainment, um, it can be used practically. You know, start a conversation with your friends. Learn something new. Communicate. Talk. Build community. I think these things are all important and I think having a knowledge of the past is really important especially during this time of the year when we can understand that the reason the foundation the basis for why we practice many of the the beliefs and the traditions and the things that we do around Halloween or Christmas or whatever it's based on family it's based on culture it's based on community you know the idea of trick or treating and communing with spirits of the dead be them malicious or benevolent spirits It all comes together when you research and you try to understand where these things come from. You get a better understanding not only of the past, not only of the present, but where as a human society we are heading into the future. Of course, a lot of the traditional things that we might know in Western civilization aren't always the same in Eastern civilization. And uh, those are things that over the years... There are things from the East and things from the West and things from other parts of the world that get mixed together and they create the cultural traditions that we have. And that's it's basically sociology um, mixed with uh, what some people might call occultism, what some people might call mysticism. It's a mixture of all of that. And that's what the secret teachings are really all about here five nights a week on the fringe. And tonight we're going to welcome a special guest to the show, her name is Amanda, and I found her on YouTube while I was looking for material to make a montage a couple of weeks ago. When we did our four-part special series on the elements—earth, air, fire, and water—and I found Amanda talking about these little creatures called haunchies um, on one of her YouTube videos, and I pulled that audio for one of the just a brief clip for a montage. And I uh, contacted Amanda, and I thought it would be nice to get somebody. I haven't had somebody on the show for a while. Nice to get somebody on the show who also has a knowledge of things like uh, the paranormal and things like folklore, something that she specializes in. She spends a lot of her time researching uh, this type of content for her YouTube channel and some of the other work that she does. She is uh, well versed in the origins of folklore. She also likes to debunk outlandish conspiracies. Those are two of her personal favorites conspiracies and folklore. So we welcome Amanda to the broadcast this evening to talk about that and Halloween origins mixed with whatever else we might get into tonight. Amanda, welcome to The Secret Teachings. Thank you for joining us.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
2: What got you into this kind of research? I fell into it by happenstance. How did you find this kind of thing, folklore and the origin of things that are you know, really deeply rooted in the past that we still practice today? What got you interested? How did you get into this?
4: Um, I mean, I guess I've always been pretty interested in, in the why of things and why do we do this? Um, like you said, why are we cutting open pumpkins and putting candles in them? Um, so from a fairly young age, I was just always pretty curious about this kind of thing, but I made the YouTube channel, uh, about a year ago now. And, I started it primarily because um, I do research for a different uh, channel on YouTube. I won't say who, but I actually do research and scripts and things like that as a full-time job. But I kind of just wanted to do it on my own terms. And I figured, hey, I'm getting fairly decent at this research thing. This is something that I really do enjoy. Now, maybe I should just do it on my own terms and have fun and research the things that i really want to talk about so it was uh, a way for me to take a break while still doing something that i enjoy
2: what is your youtube page too for people to check it out while they're listening
4: yeah um i go by exploring the unsolved now i used to go by amanda n but i actually got a few recommendations saying hey you know you should Keep your channel uh, vague. But if you look up Exploring the Unsolved, you know, Amanda N., you should be able to find me.
2: Exploring the Unsolved on YouTube. And we're going to link you up on social media as well uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. And on my page, Ryan Gable, which you can find link there. As well, and in terms of uh, cutting open pumpkins and putting those on our porch, why do we do that? I, you know, I researched a lot for my book *Occult Arcana*. I have a huge section on the origin of holidays or holy days, and Halloween is one of those traditions where, even as a kid, um, you know, kids probably like Halloween maybe more than Christmas because you get to dress up, you get to go trick or treating. When I was a kid, I liked that. I grew I grew out of it a little bit, but I've kind of grown back into it in terms of researching the origins. And when I learned about the pumpkin from the legend of Stingy Jack to the origin of why we use the pumpkin itself, I don't know, to me, I just like to explore those unexplained things. It's fascinating. What did you learn when you researched things like the origin of holidays or holy days and Halloween? Where does the pumpkin come from? Tell us what you know about that.
4: Yeah, I mean, the origin of Stingy Jack, I know, is, you know, Jack and the devil, they had this little deal going on um where I believe it was a bet in like a bar <laughs> that that they supposedly made, you know, obviously it's not like we can verify this. Uh but Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him, but only to like turn him into a coin. And though Jack freed him, it was under the condition like, you can't take my soul. Um and then when he died, the devil sent Jack off into the night with just a burning coal. And Jack put it in a turnip originally, uh, creating the first ever, you know, Jack lantern because his name was Jack. So I found that pretty interesting because the story originally has it as a turnip. So I'm like, why? <laughs> Why are we doing this with pumpkins and not turnips then? And it has a lot to do with the fall harvest and with pumpkins and apples being so available, because I think today we to some extent forget that, you know, apples are not necessarily as available year round and pumpkins are not necessarily year round. You know, we we know that these things are seasonal, but because of grocery stores and because of how our lives work now, uh, you can have fruits and vegetables of all kinds throughout the entire year. So for these to be seasonal things and, you know, grocery stores to not be the way they are now, it, it made sense that, okay, we're going to do it we're going to do it with a pumpkin instead of a turnip. So yeah,
2: what's available in the area. I mean, a lot of this I think comes from the Celtic Irish and they didn't necessarily have pumpkins as far as we know. And that was more of a North yeah. American food. So I mean, they took, I've read, they've taken beets, turnips, potatoes, any other root vegetable, and then they would kind of core them out, put a burning coal from the Samhain fire. But that, you know, that, yeah. tra- that tradition uh, is told in the story of stingy Jack, as you said, and, and, and what you explained is exactly what I've read about Stingy Jack. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a deal made with the devil in a bar. And, and then he keeps tricking the devil to the point where he's not even allowed into hell when he finally dies. So he has to wander the earth and to, to light his way, he has the, the lantern.
4: Yeah, exactly. And pumpkins are going to be more available in, you know, North America and the fall seasons and things like that. And then they're not available in others. So I, I honestly am curious what it would look like in a turnip um, for, my own, for should, my own. You should you should do that this take. year. I'm, yeah, right. I'm gonna carve out a turnip and leave it on my front porch instead <laughs> of a pumpkin. See what happens.
2: You know what? I've been thinking. I want. I've wanted to do that for years. I might. You just inspired me. I might do that this year. I might go get some turnips, maybe a beet, and I'll just carve it out and I'll put it on the front porch. See what people think. Yeah, about I mean, as.
4: Yeah, as long as you're not putting a candle in it and one of those fake little plastic ones, then it's not really a fire hazard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know they call it, they call it. Um, I think the original name was Jack's Lantern, or yeah, something Jack's Lantern. I think it was another name, but then it became Jack of the Lantern, and then Jack O' Lantern, which is what what we yeah. call that. I don't know, Amanda. I find that fascinating. I want to know why we have those pumpkins. Just like anything else, that that just blows my mind to me. I love learning this stuff.
4: Yeah. I mean, they, they are a very good, you know, they're a very good uh, tool for it. They make for really good jack-o'-lanterns. They, they're probably better than a turnip. You know, I'm imagining carving out a turnip. I don't think it'll go well. Um, I want to try it now, but
2: <laughs> I guess
4: with the pumpkins, you can take out the guts pretty easily. So
2: <laughs> well, so, so then you have this, you basically have this character in Jack, from how I understand the archetype, you have this character in Jack who is basically a trickster-like deity, So he personifies the trickster throughout various cultures and traditions, and the Jack Lantern or the Jack o' lantern becomes this this symbol that wards off both the cold, so it's warmth with the burning candle or the burning coal. It wards off, uh, by extension, darkness and or evil. So it's kind of like the Christmas light. It's kind of like the fires of Imbolc or the fires of Beltane, the different sabbaths throughout the turning of the year. Fire and light are important to beat back the darkness and the cold, what essentially are extensions of what we call evil. Yeah. We find this all throughout history, all throughout the various traditions. I mean, when you think about it from Halloween and Christmas to the summer solstice and Easter, everything really is just about that that classical good versus evil, darkness versus light. It sounds like a lot of complex mythology, but I think it, in my opinion, I think you can break it all down to that simple thing.
4: Yeah, it really does. It really, it really comes down to just uniting a community in, in a way. I, I feel like it's just, hey, you know, we're all in this together and beating evil in, in a very broad sense. And it, it's really just celebrating life in its own way. I feel like every holiday is just celebrating life in some sense. You know, with Easter it's very obvious with rabbits and springtime and spring bringing new life. And then with Halloween, I think a lot of people think that it might be, you know, celebrating death and eeriness, but but it's really not. It's all just light versus darkness. Like you said, that's kind of what every holiday is eventually rooted in whether it, it's just recognizing this battle that we're in, in, in some vague sense.
2: Yeah, some people call it a spiritual battle. Some people just call it good and evil, whatever whatever you want to call it. But when you, when you think about what you just said and, and what you said a moment ago about how we have grocery stores and you think about supply lines and transportation, we can get fruits and vegetables year round in places we otherwise couldn't get them. And when we look at something like the jack-o'-lantern, for example, since we're beginning with this, warding off cold and warding off darkness and warding off evil, we don't really have to worry about those things anymore because when it's cold, we can go sit in front of a fire, we can turn the heat up. But these traditions stay with us because they are culturally significant, they are culturally important, and they do help hold the community together. Communities from 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and communities that exist today, we still practice these things because they're the cohesion that holds our culture together.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I'm Ryan Gable. This is Amanda. What's the website or the YouTube channel again, rather?
4: Yeah, if you look up Exploring the Unsolved, Amanda N, you should be able to find me on YouTube.
2: Exploring the Unsolved on YouTube, Amanda N. I'm Ryan Gable, again your host. This is The Secret Teachings. We're going to come back with a longer segment with Amanda. We're going to get into some of the other details of Halloween, or as some might pronounce it, Samhain, or as it's I'm told properly pronounced, "sawan" right here on The Secret Teachings. There's more after this, don't go anywhere. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. And if you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com. Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. Please subscribe to the archive, get access to all the shows, montages, and the books. That's www.thesecretteachings.info. www.thesecretteachings.info. Stay with us, more with Amanda, after this. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM.
0: If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit the website, thesecretteachings.info, and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of Ryan's books. The show offers weekly and monthly subscriptions or, for $50 a year, get access to the archive, montages, and digital books at a discounted price. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on your subscription supports the secret teachings, The Fringe FM, and you Alex. Ex- My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM.
2: Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings. And like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home business and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. i personally use their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and U.S. Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN.
0: And so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at
1: rdgable at yahoo. Hello folks, this is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com and you're listening to The Secret Teachings
2: with your host Ryan Gable. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings and I want to share something astounding with you. It's no mistake that Delta equals four numerically and that with its three sides equals seven, the number of revelations that heralds the apocalypse to build a new kingdom on the ashes of the old. The new kingdom is not firstly gods though, but a false prophet who will be crowned. The corona. His kingdom is seven years long, but it's cut in half. Delta means change and authority and conveys a deep meaning in holding the eye of God and his infallible name, Yahweh petrogrammaton. It's no mistake CG images of SARS-CoV-2 have little triangles or that delta waves place people into a diseased, unstable state of mind. It's no mistake the biggest global conspiracy is one of depopulation, that its logo is supposedly a triangle, and that delta extracted from the Norse valknut means fertility. These are the patterns that we see in the observations that we make on The Secret Teachings Radio, five nights a week broadcasting on The Fringe FM. For more information, check out the SecretTeachings.info or email us rdgable at yahoo.com. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and you are tuned into the Secret Teachings Radio, broadcasting Monday through Friday, five nights a week on the Fringe FM, special Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific Time till 10 a.m. Pacific Time show over on Aftermath.fm competing network, but unrelated to the Secret Teachings weekdays here on the Fringe, if you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com. Our guest this evening, Amanda N. on YouTube. She is an investigator and researcher into the subjects of things like folklore, the origin of different traditions, things that are very interesting to me, and she got into them in a similar way to how I got into them, and I've studied uh, the origins of holidays and holy days for a long time. I've always been fascinated with why we celebrate the things that we celebrate, why we use the symbols that we use to celebrate those things. And we talked a little bit about the pumpkin or the jack-o'-lantern and where that came from. And I think, uh, Amanda, people have heard me over 10 years, every year, go on about the origins of holidays and holy days. So I want to give you uh, the floor here in this segment to start us out with. Tell us a little bit about what you know about Halloween. What are some of these other traditions? I don't know if it's trick-or-treating or or the costumes. What do you know about Halloween? What can you share with us?
4: Yeah, so uh, I guess the best place to start from from everything that I've seen would be with Samhain, which is when uh, the Celtic people believed that it was sort of a spirits are closest to the mortal realm during that time. Uh, so, the other world, you know, the division between this world and the other world was at its thinnest. So, I always thought that that was really cool because it's transitioning from, you know, a lighter season to a darker season, you know, summer to winter. So, Sawin, Sawhain, Sawin, however you pronounce it, I've heard it so many different ways. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, however you pronounce it, yeah, however you say it, that was when spirits were closest, which also kind of feeds into Day of the Dead and other holidays that celebrate that. So ancestors were honored and, you know, these potentially harmful spirits were warded off. And from what I understand, the harmful spirits or evil spirits or whatever they were considered were warded off by people wearing these face masks so that was sort of dressing up and how that came to be, or at least one of the ways that that came to be. Um, and another reason that I heard for it was so that these spirits couldn't tell who to, you know, who to do harm to in some way. You know, you can't tell who's behind the mask. Um, so those are those are the primary, things that I've looked into and that I've studied about it and that I find fascinating because even when we think of Samhain, you don't necessarily think of trick-or-treating and getting dressed up and jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins and all that. So it's where did all that come into play? So that was one of the the primary things that I looked into while looking into Samhain.
2: And that's also what I found. And uh, when I found that, when I tried to figure out and understand exactly why uh, we wore costumes, the first thing I learned was that we wore costumes for exactly the reason that you just explained to protect ourselves from these roaming spirits that might have crossed the barrier or pierced the veil during this time of the year when the veil, as you said, thins, and Mm -hmm. I learned that, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. I love that. And then as I read and researched more about it over the years, I realized it wasn't just to ward off evil spirits. Sometimes we dress up in order to welcome the spirits of our ancestors. So it it played, um, or it had a a two-part effect to it. Costumes could ward off evil, but it could also welcome good. And I think that is um, a very similar, or it shares a very similar relationship to things like trick or treating. You know, you put out the treat, or there's the trick, but you also put out food for your relatives or for your ancestors so that they can come along and they can have some type of sustenance. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about literalisms here, right. I don't think, yeah. because we're talking about spirits. There's a lot of metaphor and analogy, but still, the, the, yeah. the, there is a, a, an original reason why people did these types of things, um, even if they did do them literally, believing that the spirits were partaking of of, of the sustenance.
4: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, when it comes to trick or treating, uh, I believe it was originally known as mumming, or that was one of the first, uh, things that it was known as was mumming. And then later souling, which is when people would, uh, I know it was, it tended to be poorer people and they would visit the houses of wealthier families and ask for soul cakes, which is why I think it was known as souling because it was soul cakes And they would ask for these soul cakes and say, you know, we promise to pray for the souls of your dead relatives. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the ways that that came to be. And then with mumming, it was people dressing up as ghosts and creatures and whatever masks that they might have and performing kind of tricks for food and drink. So it's interesting that now it's for children when it used to be mumming and souling and a very spiritual thing and now it's just hey look at my cool costume uh, for a lot of people <laughs> so i think it's interesting how that's changed over the years and the spiritual aspect unfortunately has been lost to at least a certain extent
2: what what, what is the the name mumming I've, I've never heard of that before i've heard going to scowling i've heard souling because i've read about the soul cakes but what is mumming
4: yeah, I heard mumming um, through throughout my research, and it was just when people would dress up and perform tricks for food, you know for food and drink. Uh, that I found I'm trying to think where I found it. I knew I found it through one of these Celtic websites, but I think there were quite a different terms. There were quite a lot of different terms for it, and one of them at one point was mumming.
2: I'd imagine that was probably like European or English or something like that. Do you know the origin of that? It, mu-
4: it must have been. Uh, souling makes sense to me because of the soul cakes. But mumming, I would have to do a little bit more research into to know the exact origins. But I've heard that mumming is one of the terms.
2: Well, here we go. I just I just looked up the word mumming. It, it's derived from the French word for masked. So it relates there, to yeah. folk play. So yeah, dressing up and performing tricks and kind of dancing around. It's very you know, yeah. very, very much like the modern Halloween.
4: Yeah. There's there were so many different terms for it. A lot of it local, a lot of it depending on who you ask, kind of thing. Right. I'm sure there's so many more too.
2: <laughs> right. That's the thing. Like you could you know, people can say, Well, this is the origin of the jack-o'-lantern, or this is the origin of trick-or-treating, or this is the origin of XYZ. But even though that might be the origin in terms of the overall story and the archetype and the narrative, it's probably called something different depending on where you are in the world.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: I think there's another name is just, I think they use the the term scowling, you know, but it it relates to like, you know, when someone has a scowl on their face, they're kind of angry. So it's kind of maybe like a disgusted or an angry or a monstrous look. So again, masks and costumes and things like that. Did, did yeah. you, did you always celebrate Halloween? Did you grow up celebrating Halloween?
4: Um, yes and no. Funny enough. Um, my mom was actually pretty religious growing up and, you know, very Christian. And so she was not thrilled. Um, with Halloween. And she originally was like, no, you can't celebrate it because it's devil worship, you know, Um, like many very, yeah, very conservative uh, viewpoints there. She, she's not necessarily that way anymore. Um, But she used to think, you know, no, it's devil worship. You're not allowed to. Um, So one year uh, I really, really wanted to go trick or treating with my friends and I found this costume that I liked where I wanted to be Frankenstein's bride um, because I thought that was, you know, I wanted the crazy, ridiculous hair. I have pretty puffy hair, so it made sense. And I wanted like this torn up uh, little, you know, bride outfit. Like I wanted to be Frankenstein's bride, but she wouldn't let me have this, the scary part of it. So she said, no, you can go as just, a bride and so I'm wandering around the streets late at night dressed like a very small like bride. It was, it was hilarious. Those are my early memories of Halloween. You
2: you were the bride of Christ, I'd assume.
4: Uh, right. It was, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I wanted to be Frankenstein's bride and she's like, no, you can just be bride. So that was what ended up happening.
2: My um, my family yeah. was very religious too. I, I did go trick or treating. I, I was able to dress up as like the Men in Black when that movie came out in the '90s, and I dressed up like an alien one time. But um, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of restrictions. I had more restrictions on like what I could read, and I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter, and I wasn't allowed to play certain games because of that. But I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I got to explore a little bit of Halloween, but I, I got away from it because I started to think like I don't, I don't like celebrating things I don't understand. And the more I started to understand them over the years as an adult, the more I got back into participating and, and having fun with it now. Like I just got some colored lights to kind of decorate my apartment for fun. I haven't done that since I was a kid, but now I understand it. I'm I'm thinking, Oh, okay. I get it now. So I'm cool with it. Otherwise my spirit has an aversion to doing things that I don't understand, but that's, that's just me.
4: No, that totally makes sense. I mean, you know, without going too far off topic, there's, there's times where people have celebrated, uh, I'm sure you've seen in the news. There's like sorority girls that have celebrated certain old Southern traditions that actually have some pretty awful roots in like racism and things of that nature. And and if you're celebrating something where you have no idea where it comes from, how do you know if it aligns with your values? You know, so I think it's really important to to do your research about things that you're doing I mean if you're you know lighting candles if you're putting up a Christmas tree if you're doing all these things I do think that to some extent we should know where it comes from because all too often we're just not necessarily taught it it's just a part of tradition and well to some extent it's okay keeping with tradition other times how do you know about the morals there how do you know about the values there so no I totally agree with that
2: I feel, Amanda, that what happens is when we pay attention, like the word entertain means to direct attention. So when we direct our attention toward things like a Christmas tree or a certain character or in a costume or a jack-o'-lantern or whatever it is, our energy gets dumped into it, feeds into that symbol, and that symbol can act as a sigil that I believe in terms of magic and the subconscious and psychology can actually manifest almost like a golem or an Aggregor or a Tulpa, like a thought form. And if we're not yeah. careful what we put our energy into, we can ascend in, in, in a sense, in essence, summon and invoke things that we don't understand or know how to control.
4: Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I definitely think that, you know, whether, whether or not somebody is, a spiritual person and believes in ghosts or spirits or Ouija boards or tarot or whatever other, you know, as my mom would have put it like darker aspects to Halloween, you know, whether or not you believe in that it's, it's giving something power. And if you give something power and you know, your attention, if if you give something that it, it matters to you, it, has a point in your life. If, if you give it attention, you should know what you're giving your attention to because it will manifest in some form or another. If you're giving it a place of importance in your life.
2: And and for me, that's not even looking at it from one point of view or the other. It's not looking at something as good or evil. It's just a generalized statement. But then again, I guess you could say that your mom, you know, my mom, my family, uh, people that are more Christian or religiously oriented, are not necessarily wrong that these types of celebrations can be, I guess what you could call darker if you don't understand them. They're not necessarily wrong about it. Are they then?
4: I guess not, but I think anything could be dark. You know, anything can be dark depending on the intent. You know, there are people course, out yeah. there that worship Satan and, you know, I'm sure that my mom, would have some words with them and <laughs> you know that that to her is awful you know to her that that is these people are double worshipers they're terrible people but that doesn't mean that that's what halloween is about that doesn't mean that that's what everyone's intent is when they want to dress up as frankenstein's bride <laughs> like that's <laughs> right, you know yeah. when i wanted that my intent was never oh you know i i was like what eight i don't think my thought process was Oh, you know, let's celebrate Satan right now. My thought process was I got the poofy hair. Let's do it. This will be fun. You just wanted, yeah. You just that, wanted to have fun. That was the thought process. So it depends on the energy that you give it. And if you want to be as, again, as, as she would put it, you know, if you want to be a light in a dark world, then isn't your way to do that by living in the world and by adapting and by turning tradition into something that is bright and meaningful and good for you. So,
2: well, ab- absolutely. And, and and see, I'm trying to break this down um, because like, I just went to a store last night and I got some of these, these Halloween lights and um, I saw, you know, they had some skeletons and fake chains hanging up and I, I always look at the skeleton and I always think of the Knights Templar. I always think of the Freemasons they used to use and they still do. They use the skull and crossbones and they use the skeleton as a reminder that death is always around the corner. Death could happen at any time. And so you should live your life to the fullest and to the betterment of yourself and your community. And other people see the skeleton as this, this negative thing of worshiping evil. But I find it funny, Amanda, and I find it ironic That to hang a skeleton as a sign of death to honor the dead, like the Day of the Dead, for example, is somehow Mm -hmm. seen maybe as evil by those who are religious. Yet the whole religious community is, for the most part, especially the Christians, are focused around uh, a man, Savior or otherwise, who is bloodied and nailed to a cross. I mean, that is essentially a barbaric depiction that you'd see on somebody's lawn during Halloween
4: yeah no i there we go that's such a good yeah it's such a good point and such a good summary of it you know i there the whole belief system in these religions in many religions is death is 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 resurrection is heaven and hell and heaven and hell are some pretty dark concepts when you think about it you know it's Okay some people are going to have a happy ever after and some people are just going to burn in fire for all eternity. Th- those are some pretty dark concepts and to hear about that every Sunday. You know the I I think I've said it on the channel before the church that I attended from I want to say from like 8 to maybe 12 ish uh, the first church that we went to was very cultish. It was it was very very cultish without being a cult, but it was very cultish. And to hear fire and brimstone, you know, every Sunday about fire and brimstone and you do this or you go to hell, you do this or you go to hell. It's a very, very dark. And yet when you think of Halloween and so many of these holidays that are supposedly, you know, quote unquote dark, it's really just more of a, we are going to die You know, with day of the dead, we are going to die. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget spirits. Let's not ignore that in our day to day life. So it's interesting that fire and brimstone is okay, but spirituality in that sense is not
2: right. I mean, that that actually creates a void, I think, in society. It creates a void in culture and in the individual where you're actually, I think, in my view, you're cutting off the spirit or you're cutting off that immortal part of yourself that we relate to Christ and Christianity relate to salvation. We're cutting that off from the, the, the greater uh, uh, and the broader uh, scope of, of society and history where if we were to incorporate these other elements We'd find that there's actually a much more positive or a much more illuminating reason why people throughout history have celebrated, for example, the eight sabbats that Wiccans and witches are famous for practicing, and that have been turned into and Christianized um, the major holidays or holy days that we have today. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I mean, do you know about the um, the metaphor of the four horses of the apocalypse? <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I do a little bit. I haven't I haven't really looked into that too much, but I do know about it from my times going to church and from seeing it in media and things like that, where it's, you know, death and plague and fire and, and the the four horses each kind of coming to end the world. I do know a bit about it.
2: I figured you'd heard about it because you're religious. I I, I discovered something when I was researching my book, Occult Arcana, that the four horses, in essence, represent the four seasons, which probably isn't a stretch for some people. But, you know, the white horse conquers the cold and it conquers the darkness and the warmth and and brings warmth and light uh, in the springtime. The red horse is essentially the summertime. It wages war. The black horse brings Mm. decline and the fall of the sun as we move into the winter through the fall months. And, of course, the pale horse is death. It is hell. It is cold. It's the winter months. So the horses represent the four seasons. The horses represent, in relation to an apocalypse, it it relates to the great unveiling, the lifting of the veil, and the perpetual cycles of nature, summer, summer fall, winter, spring, and so on and so forth, that then the cycle repeats itself. So I think that all of that from, from a religious point of view and from maybe even a Wiccan or Pagan point of view, it comes together as a mixture of religion or theology, science, which is observation of nature, mythology, folklore, legend, etc., and we divide it and separate it from, from itself so that we create these little belief systems. But when you merge it all together, you realize, well, there are four horses of the apocalypse. They're the months of the summer, the winter, the fall, yeah. the spring. And that's a beautiful thing to recognize it, I think.
4: Yeah, I think all too often we've divided uh, everything where you can either be spiritual or you can be religious or you can be atheist and and not spiritual at all. And I, you know, very science minded. I think science, spirituality and religion are seen as three opposing forces a lot where I've heard so many people say I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know, I, I wouldn't go as far to say I'm religious and that's fine. And then there's people, you know, I'm very science minded. I don't believe in any kind of spirituality or, or religion or anything like that. I think that viewing those three as separate is kind of a shame because they each hold their own values. They each have their own purpose. And if you do make some attempt to have a balance in your life with all three, then it makes more sense, you know, reading spiritual, religious or science texts, reading things about whether it's, like we said earlier, whether it's you're putting an importance on something in your life and what that means uh, with some kind of, object with a totem with anything like that when you give it importance the mentality that you have around it uh whatever you worship whatever you believe all of those things are are so important and so to separate those three pillars of religion and spirituality and science it's a shame because when you combine them i think you get more out of it
2: you absolutely get more out of it there's no doubt about that whatsoever you combine it all together i mean that's what that's what really drives me here on the secret teachings to do what I do. And I think that's probably at the core. I don't want to speak for you, but it's probably at the core of why you do what you do with the research you do and the interest you have.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Let me ask you about this for Halloween. Well, what about, um, you think about hist- history and you think about what our culture typically portrays for a religious purpose or another as being the origin of, of something like a Halloween. Uh, where people supposedly in the past have performed human sacrifices or performed, you know, barbaric acts in order to carry out their rituals. Obviously, this has happened throughout history for a number of reasons. But what about the origin of Halloween? How much do you know about that? Is there human sacrifice really at the core?
4: Yeah i I've never seen human sacrifice at the core, or at least I haven't seen evidence of it. Um, I've seen some Western histories, you know, whether it's like Christopher Columbus or whatever the heck, you know, Christopher Columbus, when he came over here, he encountered cannibals. It's like, no, some of the people that he encountered weren't cannibals. They were very few and far between. Did they actually do anything like that? So I think history has been twisted because from my research, I haven't found human sacrifice at the core. Uh, Instead, I I have seen animal sacrifice everywhere, you know, in in a ton of traditions uh, where it's offering food. But I I wouldn't say that that makes any aspect of Sawin or of those traditions harmful because, I mean, think about it, we still have turkeys every Thanksgiving, things like that. We, we still, do have some semblance of animal sacrifice in our traditions where, oh, you know, you have a it's tradition to have pork on Christmas or turkeys on Thanksgiving. We still do partake in animal sacrifice unless you're, you know, vegetarian or vegan. So I wouldn't say that that is in any way evil. And I haven't seen enough evidence of any kind of animal sacrifice. It's been crops and animals, you know, it's been food.
2: Yeah. In fact, I, um, that's a really good, really good point about Thanksgiving and the Turkey and then pork or, you know, ham on Christmas. That's how my family was. It, yeah. it had to be ham on Christmas. It had to be Turkey on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, or, you know, in a lot of, uh, if you follow the original tradition of what we call Thanksgiving, uh, it's usually fish and seafood, but, um, so that's a good point. When you think about the, um, the origins of, Human sacrifice in that regard, obviously, uh, I'm not saying that human sacrifices were never performed. They were certainly, absolutely, 100% throughout history, uh, pretty much every culture. But that doesn't mean the dominant elements in society performed those sacrifices or they were you know, widespread. Or in, in some cases in Mesoamerica, uh, the Mayans, up until the point where their civilization began to officially decline... They sacrificed things. They just sacrificed flowers, and they sacrificed fruits and 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 things that were agricultural. Um, later, they performed some sacrifices, but that wasn't necessarily at the root core of their belief system. In other uh, uh, cultures, like the or civilizations, like the Aztec civilization, they did perform human sacrifices. But a lot of the people that were sacrificed, if they weren't prisoners of war, a lot of the people that were sacrificed were treated like gods. so they were treated like, you know, kings. They were treated with respect and the people that were offering themselves to be sacrificed were doing. So in a lot of cases under their own will. And it's hard for us to to look back and to understand that. I think Amanda, because, you know, I don't think either one of us would offer ourselves to be sacrificed, but maybe in our society and our culture today, people do offer themselves for sacrifice just in other ways, maybe in political ways or religious ways. They're willing to sacrifice their self image for something they believe in. I think all the, all this is just rolled up in what it means to be human And it expresses itself in ways that are sometimes barbaric. Sometimes they're not as barbaric, but it's, it's all still there at the core
4: of what makes us human. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, human sacrifice has been prevalent throughout history. I think it's definitely been exaggerated for sure. It has been prevalent. I've never seen it at the core of Samhain though. I've never seen it at the core of Samhain. I've never seen it at the core of a lot of these holidays, Um, And when it has existed, it's it's far more rare that it's just like we're going to toss someone in a volcano, you know, that I think that (laughs) that (laughs) that mindset of human sacrifice is so it's so ingrained in our media by now that, like, yeah, people used to just throw people into the volcanoes when they were worried about the crops not growing. And I'm not going to pretend that that never happened But it's not as prevalent as as people want to believe. It's not like, you know, every other week someone was getting tossed in a volcano for for the fun of it. It's not like that was really happening as much as we think.
2: Yeah, I'm in agreement with you in in a broad sense. Yeah, it certainly wasn't happening in the way that we thought um, or the way that we think culturally. I mean, if you look back at some some uh, traditions or some cultures or some, you know, civilizations Even when, when they did openly do that, it wasn't necessarily an everyday thing. It was maybe once a year, once a year during, you know, a harvest, or it was once a year during a certain holy day. It wasn't every single day of the week. Exactly.
4: And nobody's, I don't think the other thing too, you know, people who are very against certain holidays that may or may not have had some sort of sacrifice in them, um, it's not as if the people celebrating these holidays want to go back to that. Like I know, no actual Wiccans out there, you know, Wiccans today that celebrate Halloween in a traditional sense. I looked a little bit into uh, how Wiccans celebrate Halloween today. And there was one group where they really do pay homage and and honor to those that died throughout the year. Uh, They'll, speak their names you know they'll they'll be in a circle they'll speak their names they'll have you know a little altar but it's not like they're <laughs> trying to sacrifice a human they're honoring the dead it's very very different so when people say you know oh this is based in human sacrifice it's awful it's like yeah no one's arguing with you there we're not trying to sacrifice any humans now i sure would like to think that it's not justifiable now um so i always found that interesting too
2: yeah, and there's no doubt. I mean, I've, I've known plenty of Wiccans that I've talked to or I've interviewed over the years, and I've never spoken to a Wiccan who says that that's what they believe in, or, you know, even a lot of Satanists completely disavow any, you know, belief system in sacrificing human beings. Plus, a lot of the idea that we have of, of child sacrifice in particular, though it did go on in places like Phoenicia um, in Africa and other parts of the Middle East, Um, It was isolated in a lot of cases. And the the sacrifice of a kid is often a mistranslation. The word kid means a goat. So they used to sacrifice goats, not necessarily children. It's all very fascinating to me. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Our guest this evening, Amanda N. Amanda, where can listeners find you on YouTube again?
4: Yep. If you look me up, Amanda N., Exploring the Unsolved, you should be able to find me.
2: Exploring the Unsolved, Amanda N. Again, I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please subscribe to the archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get access to more interviews like this, though, this show will be free and posted everywhere. www.thesecretteachings.info, rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay with us. More after this. Lighting the void with the secret teachings of all ages. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
3: Do you like the secret teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books Just visit thesecretteachings.info.
2: Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings, and I want to share something very interesting with you. It's no mistake that the CDC began recommending masks in April of 2020 and that people immediately had trouble adapting or breathing just a few weeks before George Floyd died in Minneapolis. After his death, people began chanting, I can't breathe on May 26th. It's no mistake that in June, this man with black skin who had been turned into a god was placed into a golden coffin a real-life reenactment of the killing of Osiris in Egyptian myth. It's no coincidence the same month that this took place in the Twin Cities, a twin summit was taking place with the World Economic Forum, the implications of which we look at on The Secret Teachings. And these are the patterns and observations that we make on the show five nights a week, broadcasting on The Fringe FM. For more information, check out the thesecretteachings.info or email us at rdgable at yahoo.com.
0: So are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Yeah, I- do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhance and improved sound quality, add out those and clips, mix multiple clips and tracks back volume, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels allowed to measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, no artwork. Or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. What are you doing on
1: Wednesdays? I want to invite you to join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie
4: Report, where I provide commentary and invite guests on to talk about UAPs, conspiracies, current events, nature of reality, consciousness, and of course, the paranormal. Listen to The Rogie Report every Wednesday live at 6 p.m. Pacific. 9 p.m. Eastern here on the Fringe FM KTLK Digital
1: Broadcasting.
2: ATLK Digital Broadcasting,
0: The Fringe FM brings you exclusively The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Welcome back to the Secret Teachings radio broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Secret Teachings is broadcasting on the Fringe FM Monday through Friday, five nights a week. Another special one-hour broadcast on the weekend on a separate network. We are broadcasting around the world on not only the Fringe FM, but TalkStream Live and the Paranormal Radio app. You can also download the Fringe FM app for free. To your mobile device, take the network with you and listen when you have the time to do so, streaming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you missed any of our shows, or if you'd like to go back and listen to an episode of The Secret Teachings, check us out at www.thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe to the full show archive for weekly, monthly, or yearly subscriptions. You get access to everything the same, but if you subscribe for one year... It's a lot cheaper, it's $50, you get access to the shows, the montages, the books, and a physical copy of one of my books. It's a great deal because if you get a copy of Occult Arcana, the book is over 500 pages. It's basically a giant ream of computer paper. It's been the uh, culmination of about a decade of research, the foundation for this show, The Secret Teachings. There are literally hundreds of uh, beautiful pictures in the book. We have uh, just literally... It it feels like countless details and countless bits of data in that book that are just timeless and so important to utilize uh, history and occultism and things like that to understand uh, contemporary events. Um, At least that's how I look at it. And you can basically get a copy of that book for free when you subscribe for one year. So it's a huge special. It's a great deal. And we'll be doing something even more special as we approach Halloween and as we approach Thanksgiving and we approach. Christmas this time of the year known as the holidays or the holy days as they are actually known. We call them holidays. They're actually holy days or I believe off the top of my head if I'm pronouncing this right. I believe it's the old English holiday I think it's holiday or something to that effect. And that means holy day or what we call holidays tonight. We're talking about the holy days or the holidays every year. uh, I like to do a number of shows on uh, the holy days throughout the season. And for the first time in a long time, we've decided to uh, welcome a guest to the show, someone else who knows about the origin of Holy Days, uh, Amanda N. She's a researcher on YouTube. She does research for her own channel, and she does research for some other channels. And she's agreed to come on the broadcast this evening and talk to us about Halloween. Amanda, we've talked a little bit about the jack-o'-lantern. We've talked about the wearing of costumes, both for the warding off of benevolent spirits and for the welcoming of benevolent spirits the same reason we put out food for our trick-or-treating traditions Um, i learned something from you i've never heard of the practice of mumming another name for trick-or-treating so uh, i appreciate that Uh, we look at the uh, the different things we've talked about so far we go a little bit further as we were talking about human sacrifice a lot of people think that's at the base that's at the core of halloween Um, it was pope gregory I was reading Pope Gregory attempted to incorporate loosely understood by the church, that is, pagan beliefs into church doctrine uh, by making the proclamation that, quote, they are no longer to sacrifice beasts to the devil, but they may kill them for food to the praise of God. So even acknowledging sacrifice of animals, the Pope, Pope Gregory specifically said that you can still kill animals as long as you kill them to God and you don't kill them to what we call the devil. So if you look at the history, the church acknowledged that there were sacrifices, but again, they weren't human, and that there was a specific reason for the sacrifices. But our modern Halloween really doesn't have anything to do with that. How do you interpret the modern Halloween in contrast, in comparison, with the ancient traditions and practices, Amanda?
4: Yeah, um... I know this is going to make me sound very jaded. Um, I feel like modern Halloween is far more commercial and it is far more about consumerism because I I'm not going to say that I haven't ever seen, you know, a it it go around in the public about Halloween being spiritual. I'm not going to say that that's never happened, but I think it's very few and far between that you'll see the genuine elements of Halloween being addressed. But funny enough, I do see it plenty in Day of the Dead. Um, I've actually done a Day of the Dead celebration. Uh, When I was in college, one of my closest friends uh, was from Mexico. And he and I did a little Day of the Dead celebration at his place because he couldn't be with his family. Um, He wasn't able to travel back because, you know, we had school. Um, so, we made one of those sweetbreads and um, put out some food and some photos of his family and, you know, like said a little prayer together. And it was really, really sweet. You know, he wanted me to be there because his family couldn't be there. And it was very spiritual. But I'd say Halloween itself, not so much. Um, <laughs> it's more about, the candy and the celebrations and the costumes. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, with just having fun and dressing up. But I would say that the reason for those, those acts uh, are not necessarily super known. It's not really a spiritual.
2: No, it's not. I'd agree with you. And I find that um, I find that I confuse people a lot when I take a take an approach to observing something like Halloween, at least in my perspective, from my perspective, and as much as I can be objective, and people kind of get confused. They're like, wait a minute, you're saying Halloween is kind of like satanic, but it's not satanic. And I'm like, well, I'm not even using the word satanic. I'm just looking at the origins. I'm not looking at it from a Christian point of view. I'm looking at it from a historical point of view. To me, I found that that confuses people greatly.
4: It so does. (laughs) It so does um it it doesn't help that there are some aspects of halloween that are like really unusual um like there's you know those matchmaking rituals um there there were Uh, what was it bobbing for apples was kind of seen as matchmaking and then yes
2: yes it was
4: yeah things like that it really doesn't help that that (laughs) confuses people all the more because um i've you know had conversations with friends and been like oh you know it was a spiritual thing and i once um Uh, Okay, this is this is going to sound ridiculous, but so I once compared it to Avatar, the last airbender because I literally didn't know how to explain it to one of my friends. And in that show, uh, there is one. What is it? There's one scene. I can't remember what they call it. I think they do call it a solstice where the spiritual were the spiritual world and the mortal world start to blend and this great spirit called Hevi, which is a panda, comes out in the show. And, you know, it was like the spirit of the forest. It's this whole big thing. And I say, look, it's kind of like Avatar. <laughs> it's when, you know, the spiritual and the real world start to start to blur. And it's celebrating that. And it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you can kind of get someone on board with that. But then when you say, oh, by the way, there's <laughs> there's matchmaking rituals, then it does get a little confusing for some people.
2: You know what's funny when I learned about that about the apple bobbing, I thought back to because I went to a Baptist school, and the Baptist school I went to used to have um, they were very strict in some ways, but they used to have like a Halloween type celebration. they worked it, they worked it in a way where it was like giving thanks to God or something. They put this, They put a spin on it. but they used to have apple bobbing. and when I learned that, I thought, like I want to go back to this church and tell them that apple bobbing is rooted in the practice of finding a mate. So right? maybe they don't know that, or maybe they're okay they with it. can't. There's I no
4: way. There's no way that a that a Baptist church is having kids bob for apples thinking that. There's no way. They must not know.
2: Yeah, they, they don't know. Or maybe they're trying to change it. You know, they're trying to Christianize it or Yeah,
4: something. yeah. Either that or they just, they don't care. They're not thinking of it that way. I think it's funny, though, that you're having kids bob for apples. It's like, do you know what you're doing? <laughs>
2: They used didn't they? I, I think they used to have it. They used to have the apple like hang on a string off of a tree. So it was almost Edenic in nature. And then you could you'd have to try to bite the apple on the string. I think that was one of the original practices. Then they moved it to yeah. the water.
4: People <laughs> I found um, I found one source where they said that on Halloween night, guys would propose by putting rings in mashed potatoes, too. I heard that. that. I've,
2: I've actually heard that before.
4: Right? That? Hilarious. Love that. If only. If only my fiancé have proposed with my ring <laughs> and mashed potatoes.
2: Well, maybe that has something to do yeah. with the root vegetables. You know, the ring glitters light, and you put that inside of the potato. It's just mashed. It's not a full root vegetable. Some connection. I want
4: to believe that someone one day accidentally swallowed a ring that way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure that they did, if people are practicing
4: that. yeah, They must have. But yeah and then there was um you the hazelnut one in Scotland there was also that one too hazelnut where,
2: one yeah t- tell me about that what's that one
4: yeah that one it was uh it was a fortune teller one where you know how fortune tellers um they'll scatter bones and and things like that i know that that's one thing that uh psychics or fortune tellers will do Uh, This time it was they kind of did it with hazelnuts. You put the nuts in a fireplace and if they burned away, like if they turned to ash, then you weren't going to find love or it was a love that wasn't good enough or that wasn't going to last. But if the hazelnut, you know, cooked well or I guess just didn't fall apart into ashes, then then it would be then it would be a good sign Then it would be a good love.
2: You know what? I did read that. In fact, I read, um, uh, it's a very common practice to do that by putting them in like, uh, you know, like a fire or people do it on the stove. And, um, I think they've done that for everything. I mean, that's like chestnuts roasting on an open fire for Christmas. Like we sing songs about it, but people have done that for Halloween. They've done it for what we call Christmas. And then it's also just been a general practice of divination that, that women in particular have used to divine their husbands. Um, I mean, that's actually, when I read that, that's where I read alongside of it about the potatoes and the proposals.
4: Yep. Yep. Yeah. That, the apple bobbing, the potatoes, I've got, I have like a little Google doc from one of the scripts that I did. And all of those were in just a section of like, I think I titled it weird romance Halloween things. (laughs) Like I was very confused by it. I'm going, I had no idea Halloween had any kind of romantic rituals, but.
2: And it's it it's not just potatoes, Amanda. Because um, from what, from what I understand, uh, one tradition where was that you know a, a a woman who was alone would prepare prepare this like beautiful meal, and mm-hmm. it, it was done in the hopes that some astral body or what they called a fetch f e t c h um, the body the fetch or the astral body of a future husband would come, take a bite of the food, enjoy the food, and then be bound to the woman as her husband, and that is. It's interesting because that also relates to the story of, of um, the Greek myth of Persephone in Hades because she eats part of the pomegranate and gets stuck for that portion of the year equal to how much of the pomegranate she ate. And that's also the base, I think, mythos for the movie uh, Pond's Labyrinth when the girl Ophelia goes into the pale man's lair and the fairies tell her not to eat any of the food because she'll be stuck there. So it's... It's kind of a fun, loving type of tradition where women would put out food, you know, putting out a treat, hoping that a man would eat it or the, the astral body of a man would eat it. And then he would be bound to her and trapped as her husband. So a weird mixture of all these different myths and stories. And then we that just is
4: hilariously yeah. terrifying. <laughs>
2: That's a great way to describe it. It is hilariously terrifying. <laughs>
4: it really is. <laughs>
2: uh, also, uh, what about the, the hungry ghost festival? Um, it takes place in mid-August in most or a lot of Asian countries. I think Malaysia, China, handful of other countries practice it. It takes place on the 15th night of the seventh month, and it's recognized as the opening of the gates of hell that allows ghosts to receive food and drink. Do you know m- much about that? Because it's very similar to our Halloween in the West.
4: I know a little bit about it. I, I think it's so interesting how other cultures just kind of adapt adopt things or or it, it's almost like a game of telephone between cultures you know so it's it's hard to to know the origin of anything in a massive game of telephone like that um I don't I really don't know a ton about it but I I guess spoiler alert I was thinking of talking about it on my channel sometime soon maybe this is a sign I should I should do that sooner than later um but it, it reminds me a lot of Day of the Dead, it reminds yeah. me a lot of that in the sense that, you know, they're they're laying out food and it's very ancestral. Whereas I'm not going to say that Samhain is not ancestral; it is, but I would say that in the West now, the interpretation of Samhain as being ancestral has been lost a bit throughout the years. Whereas Day of the Dead is still very ancestral. Um, but Hungry Ghost, I, I believe it is, you know, ancestral where you put out the tablets and the photos and, and food and incense and things like that. So that, that is what I know of it. But I don't know quite as much about its origins.
2: Well, that's, I mean, even just understanding that, I mean, that's about the extent of, of what I know. And, and it's sometimes, you know, these traditions, when you break them down, Hungry Ghost, the ghost is hungry, the ghost is coming for food, relatives, you're welcoming them. I mean, that is the foundation for a lot of our Halloween practices. And you're right, it's very similar to Day of the Dead. And I also agree with you that we've lost a lot of the ancestral tradition or understanding for Halloween. But festivals like Day of the Dead, which to a lot of Christians or a lot of people in the West, Day of the Dead sounds kind of evil. Just like Hungry Ghost or Ghost Festival, for a lot of people, can sound kind of evil. Halloween has been this mix and this meshing of various traditions, and it's been turned into kind of like a whitewashed holiday, call it commercial or otherwise, although I agree with you there. I think Americans spend almost as much on Halloween as they do on Christmas, or it's very close. So I think, I mean, just in the name, Day of the Dead or The Hungry Ghost, you have the the, the understanding of what those holidays or those holy days are all about. Um, and in Halloween, it's not necessarily there. We say Halloween, I think, at least I do, even though I know these origins, Amanda, I think candy, costumes, scary movies on TV. And that's pretty much the cultural idea that I have. And and I'm somebody who spends you know, my life researching and understanding where things come from. And that's still how I see it. So I imagine that the common person who doesn't think about these things sees it nothing more than a than a fun you know, celebration and don't under, doesn't understand where the tradition comes from. But yeah, and these other cultures they maintain the the origin of it. I think in the name. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense, but that's kind of how I see it.
4: Yeah. No, absolutely. I think hungry ghost. Um, I actually love that word. That's my favorite uh, coffee shop. I know.
2: There's a coffee, there's a coffee a shop called that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. There's a coffee shop in New York city called hungry ghost. And I used to live in New York city and it was my favorite coffee shop to go to because I adored the name. And then when I found out hungry ghost is actually like a thing, it is a festival. It's like, Oh wow. Now I love it even more. Um, <laughs> I don't live there now, but I want to go back just to go to the hungry ghost cafe. I love that place. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I think when a holiday is called day of the dead or hungry ghost. It's a little bit, you can't really separate that spiritual side from it quite as much. Um, When it's called Halloween, you can because to a lot of people, it might just sound like a nonsense word or they might know all Hallow's Eve without knowing where Hallow's Eve, what Hallow's Eve is and then where, where the origins are. Um, The other thing too, with hungry ghost and with it being ancestral and, laying out the tablets and things like that i i would be inclined to say that there's probably a lot of day of the dead similarities and beliefs in there because you know everything inspires everything so i wonder i I i feel like day of the dead came first but i can't really know so i wonder if it was inspired by day of the dead or not because i'm not A hundred percent sure which one came first.
2: Well, you know, on the surface, whether we're talking about um, a a westernized and and by western, I mean more of the United States of America westernized version of old European traditions or we're talking about South America, we're talking about Mexico, we're talking about Asia. In essence, Amanda, I don't know if if, unless people really just want to know the date, it doesn't even matter because human beings have through various cultures throughout all of human history. Have come up with what amounts to the same exact traditions, the same exact beliefs. We just call them something different. So whether you're in Mexico or you're in Malaysia, again, I think they practice it there—the uh, Hungry Ghost Festival. You're practicing the same uh, series of, of of traditional beliefs for one reason or another. But I, I think it's fascinating that humans have come up with the same ideas all over the oh, planet. That's incredible Oh, for
4: sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this could have even, you know, been made without even hearing of of the other holiday because there's there's so many instances of, you know, people celebrating springtime and things like that without it all coming from, you know, the roots of Easter. So for sure, it could have been not necessarily even inspired, but just come up with on its own. I I am curious if it was inspired or if it was come up with, I would, I definitely, now I'm going to look into the Oregon. You're going to have to do You're going to have to
2: do your own show.
4: Yeah. One episode is going to have to be about hungry ghosts now, but for sure. I mean, there's, there's so many holidays out there that celebrate spring. So it's only natural that there'd be so many holidays out there that celebrate kind of that loss in, in their own way of moving on into winter and recognizing the, the tradition of not necessarily death, but, you know, of of fall in, in its own way.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a recycling of, of life, a recycling of, um, I mean, it's, it's taking life and death, comparing them, paralleling them, and then showing that there is a cycle throughout uh, human life, throughout nature, that nothing in a sense dies. Everything is just regenerated and rebirthed again, And I think a lot of it is rooted in, I mean, it's not on the surface, but a lot of it it might be rooted in uh, the idea of reincarnation as well uh, and the process of of rebirth after death because nature recycles, you know, throughout the four seasons and the the turning of the wheel um, and, you know, human life probably or spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, also recycles. You know, it also reminds me of, you're talking about different cultures and having these similar beliefs there's two things I want to mention. Number one is there's a, there's a practice and this has nothing to do with Halloween, although it's kind of barbaric. Um, but it does make sense culturally speaking, uh, in Egypt, they used to perform this ceremony, Amanda called opening the mouth or opening of the mouth. Mm. And they used to, usually it was for royalty like a Pharaoh or a high priest. They would take them in part of the embalming process and they would crack open the skull and the way the reason they would do that is they believed that it would allow for the the spiritual essence of the person to leave the body to pass through, you know, the underworld and then to um, become a star in the heavens connected from the Milky Way galaxy, the the river of souls to the actual Nile River, the river of life, which was turned metaphorically into this magical process in the Egyptian afterlife. but that's neither here nor there. The point is they practice this ritual, which is so specific. And yet people have found that people in Central America also practice the exact same ritual. They used to shave the head and then they would crack the skull. Um, and they, they used a device called a, I think it was called a peshin Kif. It means to open. So they would hold the mouth open, crack the skull and believe that the soul would escape. So, there's, so the, the other thing, I said, there's two things. The other thing here is I'm thinking, okay, you're asking about the hungry ghost and you're and you're talking about the Day of the Dead, and that just reminded me of this opening of the mouth ceremony. And I start yeah. thinking, a lot of people say, well, you know, it had to have been aliens that linked human culture together. Oh my gosh,
4: yeah. No, I hate that. <laughs>
2: I, I think it's a little simpler. I think that human beings, whether there was an ancient culture that was more linked together and technology was lost or whatever, or just human beings in general, we see the world in a similar to an identical way, and so regardless if you're in ancient Egypt or ancient Central America or in ancient Asia, humans are coming up with the same ideas because they're all experiencing nature in a similar to identical way. You're seeing the sun, you're seeing the stars, you're seeing the moon, and you're understanding that cycle, and then you put that into stories and that becomes the traditions that you find every culture pretty much practices the same thing. I personally don't think it's really aliens. I think it's just humans. And I think it's at the very core of who we are to observe those things and to practice them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, oh my gosh, I hate the alien theory. <laughs> no, I, I hate it when, you know, I, I so often hear, you know, aliens built the pyramids and, and, Aliens did these things. It's like, or, you know, the humans that were around did. Maybe Egyptians built the pyramid. <laughs> Why not that? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that humanity, whether it is humans inspiring humans or whether it is just us being inspired by nature or by our ancestors and stories and a massive game of telephone, whatever it is, I think that that makes far more sense and is far more likely because that is what we continue to see to this day, you know, in the holidays that we celebrate to this day and in the traditions that we have to this day and the actions that we do to this day. It's all very similar. You know, I'm not going to say that I have the exact same practices and beliefs as someone across the world, but I would argue that i'm going through a similar thing that they are we're, we're just living our best life <laughs> as much as we can um and if anything's going to unite us as awful as a pandemic might be there are plenty of things that do unite us clearly uh so yeah for people to say it's aliens like no nah, i'm not buying that <laughs> i agree i'm not buying that
2: well we i mean we just we spend so much of our time in front of computers and cell phones we don't spend a lot of our time looking up out at the stars. We don't sleep outside in tents and camps. We, we sleep inside we have you know a heater, we have an air conditioner. we go to the store to get our food. We, we still practice these these rituals because it's in our DNA, it's in our belief but it, 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 it doesn't have to be yeah extraterrestrials just because we don't understand the origins of it. Not to say that aliens aren't there, but just they're probably not responsible for just basic human developments in psychology. Um, Yeah, exactly. I'm Ryan Gable. Amanda N is our guest this evening. Amanda, what is the YouTube again for the listeners?
4: Yeah, if you look up Exploring the Unsolved, Amanda N, you should be able to find me on YouTube.
2: Exploring the Unsolved. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, rdgable at yahoo.com. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please support the show by subscribing to the archive, www.thesecretteachings.info. Grab a copy of one of my books. Check out Amanda's work on YouTube. And stay with us. We'll be back after this. The music, White Bat Audio. Stay with us. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... (laughs)
1: and even order yours today. It not only supports the secret teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports
2: you. Hey there, I'm Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings. And like my show, I like to associate with people and companies who are passionate about taking steps to a healthier life. Pro One Water Filters brings you simple-to-use systems for the home business and even the shower. They filter fluoride, heavy metals, and more, and their shower heads stop chlorine from being vaporized and inhaled. i personally used their systems now for five years, and they're worth every penny sincerely. Our other affiliate, US Plus Health, is a small American company specializing in hydrogen peroxide solutions, isopropyl alcohol, and hand sanitizers with no additional ingredients like ethanol, chloride, or methanol. They use 100% U.S. materials at an FDA-registered facility. Their simple, non-toxic formulations are both safe and gentle. They evaporate quickly and leave no residue or stickiness. They're even recommended by the CDC, FDA, and WHO as opposed to other toxic chemicals like QACs. Find links to these affiliates, Pro One Water Filters, and US Plus Health on our website, www.thesecretteachings.info for links, or visit usplushealth.com and type in the promo code TSTCLEAN.
3: They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us and we would have done more good stuff. If it wasn't for those guys. And then the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy.
1: Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe
2: FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
3: This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash Teachings.
0: Howdy, this is Joe Mars and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
3: I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
1: This is John B. Wells of Caravan to Midnight, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings.
0: Gentlemen, thank you so much for the great work that you guys are doing. Uh, Phenomenal show, phenomenal interview, phenomenal questions, and uh, I'd be willing to come back at any time and uh, explore other topics for discussion. So thank you for having me on today. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Passio from WhatOnEarthIsHappening.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Ryan Gable, and you are tuned into The Secret Teachings radio broadcast airing five nights a week, broadcasting around the world on the Fringe FM. If you missed any of tonight's show, you can find it in the archives at www.thesecretteachings.info This show will also be available, if you're not a subscriber, it will be posted on social media, facebook.com forward slash Teachings, and on our website. Again, www.thesecretteachings.info. Tonight, we are talking about the origins of Halloween, or at least what most of us know as Halloween. Some of you might not know is that Halloween is a three-day festival. And although we might not classically see Halloween in a contemporary sense as a three-day festival, if you think about it, you have Mischief Night into Halloween, and then you have depending on your viewpoint and your Christian beliefs, perhaps, you have All Saints Day. There's also All Souls Day. And if you look at the origins of this, what you find is that the Witch's New Year, November 1st, became All Saints Day under Pope Gregory. And it was in honor of every saint who had died the previous year, as opposed to honoring the turning of the wheel and the changing of the seasons, October 31st became what we know as Halloween. Pope Boniface IV confirmed these dates, and Pope Gregory acted to move Samhain or Samhain from October 31st to November 1st as part of the Christian Catholic tradition. The All Saints Day celebration was also referred to as All Hallows or All Hallows Mass. Middle English, al Mass literally means all saints. The night before became known as Halloween. By about 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day in honor of all those who had died during the year. This, of course, is directly related to the original observation of the dead held by the Celts and earlier pagans and, of course, others around the world. Thus, we can find an absolute thread between pagan beliefs and modern Christian or Catholic practices. So we have a three-day festival. We have... What we know is Halloween, we have All Saints Day, and we have All Souls Day. A lot of earlier holidays or holy days were celebrated in a three-day festival. Our modern Thanksgiving was even, uh, at least here in the United States, celebrated in a three-day festival. And other versions of giving thanks to the goddess or giving thanks to the god as in Egypt, Osiris, giving thanks to the bountiful harvest and eating his body, and bread created through the wheat and drinking his blood, the archetype for what we would know as communion later on or what we know as the uh, sacrifice of Christ. This was an old Egyptian tradition performed in ancient Egypt, the body and the blood of Osiris, the green god or the black god of agriculture. So we celebrate things today that whether you're Christian or not, whether you're Muslim or a Jewish individual or whatever your belief might be, We celebrate a lot of things that we don't necessarily understand the origins of, and some people choose as a result of that not to celebrate them at all. Other people learn what those traditions are, what their original intention was, and then they, like myself, they uh, incorporate them back into their lives. For me, I just like learning about them. I like explaining them on the show. I think it makes a good show. I think it's entertaining. I think it's practical information, and I have a good time doing it tonight I am doing that with Amanda and our guests this evening. Amanda, did you know that Halloween is a essentially a three-day festival?
4: Yes, where it's All Hallows' Eve, then All Saints' Day, then All Souls' Day. Yeah, I've heard that.
2: A three-day festival. Do we really, I mean, from your perspective, do we know that? I've never really thought about that. Do we know that? Do most people know that Halloween's a three-day festival? Is that a thing that we understand culturally or we consider that?
4: Um... I mean, I'm sure it's subjective. I'm sure some people do and some people don't. But from from what I've seen, I, I feel like most people think it's All Hallows Eve, then All Saints Day, and then that's it. I feel like All Souls Day has kind of just been forgotten. Like uh, All Saints Day and All Souls Day has kind of just been combined over the years where people yeah. think, okay, you know, All Hallows Eve is where – the ghosts and, and the mortal world, you know, combines or or whatever that may be where like we talked about the thinning of the veil earlier. I think a lot of people, um, that do very cursory research would, would probably know that. And then after that it's, you know, celebrating those that have died, but it was a very specific thing where it was celebrating the saints that died. And then, you know, the general faithful that died, and I don't think a lot of people know that I don't think a lot of people know that it was two separate things.
2: What's interesting because All Souls Day goes back to what we've been discussing throughout tonight's show and what we were discussing in the last segment. We're talking about the souls of all people. We're talking about like the Day of the Dead. We're talking about the hungry ghost. We're talking about the ghosts or the souls of the dead these are things and traditions that we see outside of religion, but we see them inside religion made a little bit more religious. The church has acknowledged all souls day. I mean, it was a creation of the church and I think they're essentially acknowledging, but just putting their own spin on these old traditions that we otherwise write off as evil or we write off as pagan, but the church celebrates the exact same thing, just maybe for a slightly different reason.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And this could be super wrong and speculative. It it probably is. This this is probably very speculative, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that you know, way back when, when we celebrated um, saints more often, it made more sense to have All Saints' Day than All Souls' Day uh, because of the religious aspect to it, you know, because saints were celebrated and I'm not going to say that saints are not celebrated now. I'm just going to say that I don't think saints are nearly as common now. It's not really as if you're celebrating all the saints that died throughout the year anymore. It's kind of just a general, we're going to celebrate the people that died now. Um, so it it's become part of The general population, it's not, okay, we're going to celebrate the Christian saints that died and then the Christians that died. Now it's more of a celebrating those that died, generally speaking, if that makes sense.
2: No, it makes sense. And um, I I read something interesting that for uh, a long period of time in England, they actually didn't have uh, what we call a Halloween tradition. Uh, During the Reformation, they basically abolished uh, All Hallows' Eve they abolished the practice. It wasn't formally officially restored until 1928 by the Church of England. Something that yeah. I that I read, and I thought that that was interesting. I mean, that means that Halloween is a modern practice in places like England as a relatively recent creation, uh, at least according to the church.
4: Yeah, and in the 20s and 30s, Halloween was awful. Um, <laughs> I know that there was a ton of vandalism, just... So, so many issues. It was almost just, you know, forget about it. It was almost just not actually done. It was almost abolished. Uh, I know here in the States anyway, it was almost abolished pretty soon after it became um, a holiday again in in other places, because of all the vandalism, because of all the ridiculous parties, because of all the theft. Um, yeah. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, that is not the case now. But yeah, that I mean, I'm not going to say there's no vandalism now, but you know what I mean? It's not it's not as bad. Well, it's like um, I mean, I mean,
2: obviously pe- people are going around and doing that. I mean, it's probably a really obvious observation, but people are doing that. Probably not knowing, not caring. They're just kids having fun, mischief night. But they're doing that. They're acting out the, the um, actions of the, the ghosts, of the spirits that are mischievous, that come across the plane, that come into our world through the lifted veil. Those are the spirits that cause havoc. And that's why we wear the costumes and leave the food out so that we don't get the trick. We just provide the treat. But they're kind of reenacting that. That's, that's what the youth tend to do with mischief night.
4: Yeah, we gotta scare off the mischievous youths. <laughs> there, there was one story I heard. Um, oh, I can't remember exactly where I heard it. Where one of uh, one group of kids actually managed to scare a woman to death with a creepy pumpkin on their head. They scared
2: right. her to death. They killed this woman yeah. accidentally.
4: Yeah, yeah. Actually, a woman died back then when a group of kids they shocked her so badly that she like had a heart attack and died. It was bad. It was a bad time well, all around. I wonder
2: so. how many times does that actually happen because when you read about the stories of um like for example I can think of two stories two different stories there are stories almost every year where there's like a dead body hanging and it turns out it's a real dead body but people think it's a Halloween decoration that happens yeah. often. Oh
4: god. Yeah. That's th- no thanks. That's horrifying. Yeah.
2: The, the other thing is that probably doesn't. In fact, I know it doesn't happen as often as the, the folklore suggests or culturally, as parents believe, is the razor blade in the candy. As far as I understand, that's happened like once, maybe twice. And now it's, yeah. a, it's a big thing every year.
4: Right. That is so uncommon. I had my fiance ask me two days ago, he goes, hey, why do people put razor blades in candy? I'm like, they don't. <laughs> like, they. It doesn't happen nearly as much as we think it does. Pretty sure it happened once. Pretty sure it just went around as a really big rumor that got blown yep. out of proportion. Yep. It's not it's not really a thing. I'm not saying don't check your candy, but I'm saying don't. You know, not everything is horrible. Well, if he, not uh, everything is wicked and evil when it comes to kids' candy.
2: If he if he asked you why people put the razor blade in the candy, you should have asked him why he didn't put your engagement ring in the mashed potatoes.
4: There we go. That would have been a great <laughs>
3: question.
4: <laughs> no, he knows I know a lot about Halloween stuff. And he's like, why do people do this? Because it's it's not, you know, if they cut up some kid's mouth, I mean, yeah, they're sociopathic for doing that, but why is it, what would the motivation be? Like I'm telling you, it doesn't happen that much.
2: Well, I'll I'll tell you what, like I, I, I have a very strict lifestyle. Like I just by choice, I don't drink alcohol. I don't eat candy. I try to eat mostly plant-based and um, I've always made the argument. I'd be more concerned as a parent over the ingredients in the candy rather than being worried about a razor blade. I, always, I say you that every have a year.
4: point <laughs> you do have a point i I would love to think that I could restrain from eating the obnoxious amount of sugar that I do. I know that. My blood is just ninety percent sugar at this point. Um,
2: oh man, that's not no, good
4: <laughs> no, i my gosh i I have um I have chronic conditions where I'm tired all the time, and I try not to have too much caffeine because mm-hmm. I know that's really unhealthy. but as a result, I end up having too much sugar in order to stay awake. so, well, so you, it's a problem
2: ninety percent sugar that's not that's not good, Amanda.
4: No, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Love that. Like, genuine. Other than, i other than my literal chronic illness. I'm healthy.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I that I would assume if you like sugar, then Halloween really is your time of the year because you mean you're going to get every kind of sugar you can get at the store. It's all available.
4: See, the first week of November is my favorite time of the year because it's all on sale.
2: Oh, you get the discount candy. I get the
4: discounts. That's what I do.
2: That is a much better way to celebrate it. In fact, I think I would if if I was strapped for cash, I just celebrate holidays after the holidays. Then you get like discounted Christmas trees, discounted Halloween costumes, you know, save, save a little money. Let me ask you this because we only have about eh, 10, 11, 12 minutes left. What about haunted houses? What, what do you think about haunted houses and more modern Halloween practices?
4: Oh my gosh. Um, perfect timing. My episode coming out this Friday is all about my experience working in a haunted house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i i worked in a haunted house i won't say the name in the episode i think i just call it the warehouse um i had a horrific experience (laughs) but uh I, i know a lot of other people working there really loved it you know i'm not gonna hate on the warehouse itself um i mckamey manor aside I think that they're great. I think that <laughs> they fun. About, I
2: was about <laughs> yeah, to say McKay it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> McKamey Manor, we don't talk about that. That's a whole other level of sadistic and masochistic going on there. But that aside, I think for the most part, I really do enjoy haunted houses. I think that they're really cool. I think that it's a really interesting way of celebrating the holiday because I, I would argue that when you look at the traditions, it wasn't about scaring the people around you. It was about scaring away spirits. So I think it's interesting to put that spin on it and to add a little bit of horror to Halloween, um, all in good fun. Uh, I worked in one. I was dressed up as a creepy doll. I sat in the corner. People thought I was fake. They would come over to me and then I would scream in their face. It was a good time. Uh, Nothing, you know, nothing against working in a haunted house. I the only reason why my experience was horrific and why I'll never go back is uh, I you can cut this if you need to. Uh, I was actually sexually assaulted in the haunted house by one of the workers there who continually kept like cornering me uh, very frequently. And it was awful. And I couldn't exactly prove it because the security cameras didn't have night vision, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. In, in a haunted, in a haunted, house, haunted house, Yeah, right. You're in a haunted house. And I was in the coffin hallway where it was pitch black, surrounded by coffins. Not a great place to be sexually assaulted by an employee frequently because he was one of the security members. So absolutely hated it for that reason and will not go back. But aside from that, aside from that experience, you know, it was really great and it was really entertaining um, and more wholesome behind the scenes than I would think most people would even believe.
2: Yeah, I got a tour one time. I didn't have a bad experience, but I got a tour one time of uh, Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. And mm-hmm. it's just like anything else. You know, I, I actually went to film school and they the, one of the first things they told us, they said, you know, There's two parts to film, obviously. There's film and then there's audio. And if you watch a scary movie with no audio, no matter what they show you on the screen, it's not really scary because you you need the audio. It's kind of like that when you go behind the scenes and you see how the the haunted house is made or the haunted whatever, um, or you see the people behind the mask. Obviously, it's not scary anymore, but... You know, with McKamey Manor and other things that we have today in our culture, it's like people want to be more and more scared to the point of even in the case of that, that particular haunted house, like it's to the point where people are signing waivers to be tortured, to have their nails pulled off, to be like beaten. I mean, that is, I think that is pretty sadistic (laughs) or masochistic.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I had the episode about that place. I just, I can't condone it, you know, because i i obviously don't know these people i don't want to say that this is for fact a thing but if you're going into a place to be literally literally tortured there's something not a hundred percent right with you upstairs um if you want to have your fingernails torn off i i would think that there's something not quite right (laughs) and and maybe maybe seek a psychiatrist maybe maybe get some help if you want (laughs) I'm, i'm sorry you know that maybe that's very judgmental to say but I think that if someone is literally willing to have someone else tear their fingernails off and shave their head, then yeah, I think they need help. Okay. I I think they need help.
2: (laughs) Let's be honest. It is judgmental, but I feel the same way. I think that someone might need a little bit of um, evaluation. However, you know, psychiatry sometimes can be just as scary as going into a haunted house. I was reading this um, uh, uh, study from uh, RS university in Denmark and they referred to, you know, haunted houses and horror movies as what they, they call it, recreational fear. And having studied psychology myself, I think one of the major reasons people enjoy this kind of stuff, at least ones where you don't get your fingernails pulled off, um, is that, you know, you can experience something scary, something horrifying, your 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 biggest fears, and you can do it knowing that, you know, you're not going to have... Uh, you're not going to experience the consequences of actually being in that horror movie. You can watch that movie, eat popcorn and experience something from the comfort of your own couch. So we can go into like the human mind, pull out the things we're scared of, experience them. And, and, you know, with sound and with visuals and with flashes of light and et cetera, with props in the case of haunted houses. And we don't really have to suffer the consequences of being chased by an ax murderer or somebody with a chainsaw or with a hook for a hand. It's just all part of human psychology, and we like that. And that's why it's so popular, I think, because humans want to be able, they want to find safety and protection. We want to to be safe. And so we watch these things because we can experience horror from the comfort of our own home without actually having to deal with it firsthand. And plus, the world is usually, for most people, horrifying enough. So if you can experience something like that without having to To actually experience it, experience it. I think that's why a lot of people enjoy it psychologically speaking. Anyway, I've come to, to like scary movies again myself.
4: Yeah, it's horror with safety. You know, when I was working in the haunted house, I did have some people that like almost egged me on. And I feel like they wanted me to attack them them? (laughs) in a a weird way. Like they, they, they egged me on, they were like, Oh, you're not scary. And they would like get in my face. I'm like, dude, I'm not allowed to touch you. I don't know what you think is going to happen here, but I'm just going to sit here and do my job, you know, please move on. Um, So I I did have some people that, you know, tried to egg me on and, and they wanted that fear. And I think that that it to some extent it's fine. But I think that when it reaches points of McCaymie manor and, you know, literal torture, I understand that I'm pretty sure the guy who runs it requires the people there to have a doctor's waiver. Yeah. I would argue that they should have a psychology waiver as well because that is emotional torture. You can't deny that. That's a good point. (laughs) So I would say if you're gonna make people have a doctor's waiver, they should have a psychology (laughs) waiver because that is some messed up stuff. Um, so I s- do think Halloween can do, go too far in that regard.
2: <laughs> well, we, we've talked about pretty much every major component of Halloween tonight, Amanda. We've talked about the jack-o'-lantern and stingy Jack. his deal with the devil. We've talked about why the jack o lanterns called the jack-o'-lantern jack's lantern. We talked about costumes, wearing them to ward off the evil, wearing them to welcome the spirits. Same reason we put out food to appease the evil and to welcome the good. We're warding off with the jack-o'-lantern which used to be a turnip or a root vegetable, costumes and food, we're warding off darkness. We're warding off the cold. We're warding off what people call evil and we're welcoming the warmth. We're welcoming the uh, the light. We're welcoming what people call good. That battle of good and evil, that spiritual component that is at the very core of most of our, if not every single one of our major holidays or holy days, whether we're lighting bonfires, we're lighting candles, we're baking bread for in bulk or we're having uh, Samhain traditions that uh, are probably the the most, I think, most iconic elements outside of a Christmas tree for the uh, the various Sabbaths on the Wheel of the Year. We've talked about it all tonight on The Secret Teachings with Amanda N. Amanda, just a minute here, if you would like to give out your YouTube again and uh, tell listeners anything else you'd like to tell them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. If you look up Exploring the Unsolved, Amanda N. on YouTube, you should be able to find me. Uh, I mostly talk about, you know, debunking uh, some more ridiculous conspiracies and talking about folklore, the origins of where things come from. That is what I love to talk about. I will always take recommendations if you leave them in my comments. Uh, This upcoming week, I'm going to talk about uh, how I worked in a haunted house for a little bit, and I might add a few more kind of creepy story times here and there throughout my channel. So be on the lookout for that.
2: Excellent. I appreciate you coming on the show. You have a good voice to contrast my deep voice, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you so much
4: for having me. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Amanda N. on YouTube. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. And uh, does your show get posted weekly, same time every week?
4: Uh, Yep. Weekly, Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
2: Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. Go check Amanda out. And don't forget about... The Fringe FM, The Secret Teachings, airing five nights a week. Five nights a week, Monday through Friday. Amanda, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. And for the rest yeah, of you, absolutely. And for the rest of you, we'll also talk to you soon on the next broadcast: rdgable at yahoo.com. Please grab a book, subscribe to the show. Occult Arcana has so much of what we discussed tonight and more. Just everything we discussed tonight pretty much in a small little section of the book. It's a huge book. Grab a copy or get a free copy when you subscribe for one year. Again, rdgable at yahoo.com, www.thesecretteachings.info, facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings, and also check us out on Patreon for behind-the-scenes videos and more. We're beginning to grow the Patreon page. You basically tell me what you want to see, what you want to hear on Patreon. That's Patreon, The Secret Teachings, or just go to our website. Everything is there. www.thesecretteachings.info. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we will talk to you on the next broadcast as the wheel turns here on The Secret Teachings.